The Strike of the Smiths by François Copé Translated from the French by George Murray Read for LibriVox.org by Sandra Schmidt The Strike of the Smiths Translated from the French of François Copé Messieurs les juges, my story shall be brief. Tis this. The foundrymen were out on strike. It was their right. The winter had been hard, and men were tired of keeping endless land. One Saturday, the evening of our pay, some comrades led me gently by the arm into a wine shop. There my oldest mates, I still refuse to give the court their names, spoke thus. Père Jean, it seems we have no pluck. We want more wages, or we work no more. They grind us down. It is our last resource. We choose you, therefore, as the oldest hand, to warn the master, but with no big words, that if our pay henceforward be not raised, each day will be sint Monday at the works. Père Jean, are you our man? I answered, yes. If I can serve you in your need, I will. I am no communist, mon président, but an old, peaceful man, with no great faith in the spruce black coats that control a strike. Still, it may be I could not well refuse, so, pledged to act, I sought the master's house and found him dining. Having made my bow, I told him squarely how we all were pinched by cost of food and lodging, and I showed things could not last so. Then I figured out his gains and ours, and proved with due respect it could not ruin him to raise our pay. He listened calmly, while he cracked some nuts, and said at last, Père Jean, I see you are an honest man, and they who chose you knew what they were doing when they sent you here. For you there always shall be work and pay, but their demands would cripple me at once. I close the works tomorrow. All who join in lawless strikes are good-for-nothing drones. Tis my last word, and you can tell them so. I answered, It is well, sir, and withdrew with heavy heart, and carried to my mates the master's answer, as I promised him. Wild tumult followed, anarchy, revolt. Then, with one voice, they pledged themselves to strike. And I too, like my fellows, took the oath. Oh, more than one that evening, as he flung on a bare table all his scanty hire, felt, I will warrant, anything but gay, and failed to close his eyelids when he thought that, since his wages ended with his work, he soon must learn the lesson how to fast. For me the blow was crushing. I am old, and not alone. That night, on reaching home, I took my little grandsons on my knees. My daughter died in childbirth, and her man went to the dogs. I looked upon the two small mouths that soon must hunger, and I blushed for having rashly sworn to join the strike. Still, I was not worse stranded than the rest, and as we workmen scorn to break an oath, I vowed to do my duty by the craft. My poor old wife now entered. She was bowed beneath a bale of linen newly washed, and when with faltering tongue I broke the news, poor thing, she had not heart enough to scold, but stood long time in silence, with her eyes fixed on the floor. At length she said, My man, thou knowest that I am thrifty, and will do all that a woman can. But times are hard, and we have bread for barely two weeks more. I answered, things will soon come right again. Though well I knew that, short of playing false, I could do nothing, and that those on strike, sworn to maintain it to the bitter end, would make short work of men who sold the cause. Soon came our troubles, 
Oh, mes juges, mes juges, you may believe that when our cup of woes was full, I never could become a thief, but must have died of horror at the thought. Nor do I claim one jot of praises due, even to the hopeless wretch who, morn and eve, is forced to stare disaster in the face for never harbouring a guilty thought. Still, when the winter pierced us to the bone with icy fangs, and when my honest gaze dwelt on those living challenges to sin, my hungry grandsons and heroic wife, and watched them, shivering by a fireless grate, despite those wailing babes and careworn wife, despite that terrible and freezing group, never, I swear by Christ the crucified, even for a moment, did my clouded brain conceive the thought of theft, that shameless act when the eye watches and the fingers clutch. Alas, if now my pride is broken down, if now I bend before you, if I weep, tis that I see again the three of whom I spake, for whom I did what I have done. At first we lived as we were forced to live. We ate dry bread and pawned our little all. I suffered much. To men like us a room seems a barred cage from which we long to flee. Look you, since then I've had a taste of jail, and truth to tell, I've found them much alike. But to do nothing is a hell on earth. Let those that doubt it have their arms tied down by strong necessity. They soon will learn why men must work, and why the atmosphere of file and fire is what mechanics love. Two weeks had passed, and not a sou was left. Meanwhile, I walked, like one whose brain is crazed, alone mid crowds straight onwards. For the roar of a big city seems to silence thought, and deadens hunger better far than wine. But once on reaching home, it was at the close of a dull, raw December afternoon, I found my helpmate crouching on the floor with the two babies strained against her breast. And while I thought, "'Tis I am murdering them," she meekly spake like one confused with shame. "'My poor dear man, the pawn-shop has refused this worn-out mattress, all we have on earth, and now I know not where to look for bread.' "'Wait,' I replied, and brought at last to bay vowed at all hazards to go back to work. Then, though mistrustful of my welcome there, I sought the wine-shop, a repulsive haunt that harboured all the leaders of the strike. I raised the latch. Methought it was a dream. While others starved, those men were drinking hard. Yes, drinking! May the board that paid the wine and thus prolonged our hideous martyrdom hear the loud curses of an old man's tongue. I faced the topers, and when once they marked my frowning forehead and tear-reddened eyes, they guessed no doubt the reason why I came. Their looks were sullen, and their greeting cold. Nathless I spake. I come to tell you this. I am sixty, past. My wife is also old. Two helpless babes are left upon my hands, and from the garret where we starve, each stick of furniture is sold. We have no bread, a bed within a hospital, my corpse would be a prize for students to dissect, is for a beggar like myself enough. But for my wife and darlings it is not, so for their sakes I must return to work. But first I crave your license for the act, lest slender's tongue should slaver over my name. Behold, my hair is white, my hands are black, I have toiled hard for more than forty years. Let me go back to earn our daily bread. I tried to beg. I could not. 
my old age is my excuse the man upon whose brow the constant wielding of a hammer's weight has graved deep furrows hard to be effaced cuts a poor figure when to pass us by he holds for arms a hand that still is strong with my two hands i pray you tis but fit that i the oldest should be first to yield let me go back again alone to work you hear now tell me if you grant me leave then from the crowd of drinkers one advanced three steps and called me coward to my face my heart grew cold blood mounted to my eyes i looked at him who spake the taunting word a tall slim stripling pale beneath the gas a shameless dancer at the faubourg balls with love-locks on his temples like a girl he grinned and mocked me with malicious eyes the rest kept silence silence so profound that i could hear the throbbing of my heart i clasped my forehead in my hands and cried my wife and darlings then it seems must die so be it and i will not go to work but thou i swear shalt answer for thy taunt and we like grander folks will fight it out my time at once my arms i have the choice the heaviest hammers best will serve our turn light in our hands as any sword or pen and you my mates must second each of us quick form a ring and search yon corners well for two good iron sledges red with rust and thou vile scorner of an old man doff thy blouse and shirt and spit upon thy hand foaming with rage i elbowed through the crowd a path and in a corner of the walls picked out two hammers from a clustered heap then having weighed them at a glance i flung the heaviest tool at my insulter's feet he still kept grinning but he seized the shaft armed at all hazards standing on defence and cried old fellow don't be spiteful now i deigned no answer but drew near the wretch and while i teased him with my honest eyes in rapid circles round my head i whirled the trusty sledge a deadly weapon now never had a cur that cowers beneath the lash within his haggard and imploring eyes so base a look of supplicating fear as that which i detected in the glance of the foul craven who recoiled aghast and propped his back against the filthy wall too late alas too late a mist of blood a crimson veil seemed drawn between my eyes and that pale caitiff palsied with affright and with a single blow i crushed his skull i know it was murder and i own my guilt i want no advocate to fence with words and foist the name of duel on a crime dead at my feet with oozing brains he lay and as a man who on a sudden feels all the immensity of cain's remorse i stood there shrouding both my eyes from view at length some shuddering comrades sidled up and would have seized me but i shook them off and cried let go i doom myself to death they understood then taking off my cap i passed it to them like the bag in church tis for the wife and little ones my friends that brought ten francs of which a chum took care and then i went and gave myself in charge thus you have heard the plain unvarnished tale of my great crime and need not pay much heed to what the glib-tongued advocates may say if i have dwelt on pitiful details 
twas but to prove what horrors may result from a foredoomed concurrence of events my helpless babes are in the hospital where sorrow killed my brave long-suffering wife whatever my fate the galleys or the jail or even pardon matters little now and if you send me to the scaffold thanks end of poem this recording is in the public domain